Difficult topic this morning, betrayed. You ever been betrayed? It's a stab in the heart caused by a stab in the back, and it's an incredible hurt. It's kind of not like any other hurt, really, and it's so hard for us to get over sometimes without holding a grudge or ill feelings. Here's what Webster said about to betray. To give aid or information to an enemy of, commit treason against or be a traitor to, to be disloyal or faithful to, to divulge in a breach of confidence, to deceive, to lead astray. And it is a trust broken. And you and I both know that people close to us, when they, when they break that trust, how extremely hard it is to get it back. Because in the back of your mind, you, are they really, really going to carry through with this? If my spouse has cheated on me, what's going to keep them from doing it again? And, and that's just an example. I could go on and on on that. What a, what, what a, what a world we live in. And I'm, I'm not a business person. But I know people that are in business, that are in the upper echelon of companies. And just one such story from a young man that Diane and I watched him raised as a boy, that some of the things that, that happened within the, the confines or within the context of the upper echelon and, of this company and, and how they, <laughs> they got rid of him after 20 years. And for, it's just bizarre. And I know that loyalty is the thing of the past almost. Used to businesses and employees used to be loyal to each other to, more so than they are now. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's, that's kind of how I see it now. Loyalty is going out the window. Psalm 41 is another messianic psalm. I, we looked at Psalm 2 a couple of weeks ago. And these are psalms that Christ has mentioned. And, and like I told you before, when we start reading in the book of Genesis, the third chapter, Jesus is introduced, and he is a red thread that runs through the entire Bible all the way to the Revelation. This psalm's about betrayal. David, king of Israel, was betrayed by Absalom, his own son. Jesus Christ was betrayed by Judas Iscariot, his own disciple, one who he poured time and energy into, one that he loved. Where do we fit in all this? You and I betray Christ by being disobedient and not listening and obeying to the Holy Spirit when we willfully sin, when we willfully stick our fingers in the ears, uh, in our ear, spiritual ears, when the Holy Spirit is prompting us and wooing us and pulling us to do something. That's betrayal. Here's our big idea this morning. There's a little Judas in all of us. The theme of Psalm 41 is a prayer for God's mercy when feeling sick, abandoned, or betrayed. Have you ever felt sick or abandoned or betrayed? Or maybe that's where you're at this morning. And the hope is when others betray us and abandon us, God remains at our side. God is always faithful. Yes, he, is. he was in the Marine Corps the motto of the United States Marine Corps is Semper Fidelis, which is Latin. That means always faithful. This is God to us. He is always faithful. He never betrays us. Psalm 41, David writes this. Oh, the joys of those who are kind to the poor. The Lord rescues them in times of trouble. The Lord protects them and keeps them alive. He gives them prosperity and rescues them from their enemies. 
The Lord nurses them when they are sick and eases their pain and comfort, discomfort. Oh Lord, I pray to have mercy on me. Heal me for I have sinned against you, but my enemies say nothing but evil about me. How soon will he die and be forgotten, they ask. They visit me as they are my friends, but all the while they gather gossip. And when they leave, they spread it everywhere. All who hate me whisper about me, imagining the worst for me. Whatever he has, it is fatal, they say. He will never get out of that bed. Even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food has turned against me. Lord, have mercy on me. Make me well again so I can pay them back. I know that you are pleased with me, for you have not let my enemy triumph over me. You have preserved my life because I am innocent. You have brought me into your presence forever. Bless the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives forever from eternal ages past. Amen and amen. The background of this Psalm 41 is the rebellion of Absalom against his father. It's recorded in 2 Samuel 11 through 16. It's the last of a group of Psalms, 38 through 41, which belong to that time period. The last verse of Psalm 41 is the formal conclusion of book one of the Psalter, in which there are five total. So Psalm 1 opens with the blessed man of Psalm 1 and closes with the betrayed man of Psalm 41. It's an example of a Psalm where only one verse is messianic. This same verse, verse 9, was quoted by Jesus in John 13 and applied to Judas Iscariot. So the rest of this psalm, he's talking about his son Absalom and his trusted friend who rose up against him together an army to overthrow his kingdom. And here's the thing that, that, that I say a lot. You know, a lot of times we repeat ourselves, and I do as well. When I, talking, when I talk about sinning and playing in the mud... David brought all this on himself. I think there's a lot of times in our lives when things don't go well or they don't go our way and we want to blame others and sometimes we even blame God himself. When we look in the mirror, we realize that we've brought this on ourselves. The prophet Nathan came to David and told him this story about a little sheep, little ewe lamb. But dramatically, he accused him of the sin of adultery and murder. So David confessed his sin and truly repented in the words of Psalm 51 and 32. And Nathan's reply was this. David, your sin is forgiven, but the sword will never depart from thy house. It's the consequences of playing in the mud. David had wrecked a man's home. He had taken that man's wife and his, his life. And now he had to reap the bitter tears of suffering. He had to pay the price for overindulging his handsome and proud son. David had shut his eyes to what Absalom was doing. And now he had to reap the consequences. There's a great lesson in here for parents as we overindulge our children. When we give them too much, when we allow them to have their way too much and, and don't rule with the authority that God has given us as parents. It's a great lesson in that. But among these conspirators, conspirators in the Absalom rebellion was Ahithophel, formerly one of David's best friends, one who sat at his table, one who as was at his right hand that gave him wise counsel. When David heard that Ahithophel joined the conspirators, he groaned in 2 Samuel 15, 31, 
O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. So here was his best friend who had turned completely against him and turned traitor. Now we have to consider the history here that Ahithophel was the grandfather of Bathsheba. So you start to understand a little bit. There was some vengeance in that. Bathsheba was the woman that David had an affair with and had her husband Uriah the Hittite pushed to the front of battle so he would be killed. So this was a family deal. This is the background to verse 9 of the psalm. Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. These are the words which our Lord applied to Judas Iscariot in his act of betrayal. So verse 9 of Psalm 41. Jesus quoted it in the upper room, John 13, 18. Let's compare them. Psalm 41, 9. Even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food has turned against me. And in John 13, 18. I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know so well each one of you I chose. The scriptures declare, the one who shares my food has turned against me, and this soon will come true. There's a mystery about the person and career of Judas. It's difficult to understand. But as we look at his life in 12 stages, we line our own lives up with that, and I, I think maybe we might find ourselves in one of these stages as the Holy Spirit lays that upon our hearts, we usually have messages about heroes in the Bible, such as David and Abraham, all the apostles, and Jesus and Paul. Hardly ever do we look at the villain. The villain in this case is Judas, but the reason I do this this morning, because there's some similar parallels in his life and ours as we think about the betrayal of our Lord. Stage one in the life of Judas Iscariot, he is mentioned in prophecy. His name is not mentioned a lot of times, but his actions and his end are. It's significant that he had the same name of the man who sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver in Genesis 37. Stage two in the life of Judas Iscariot, chosen by the Lord as an apostle. After a whole night in prayer, Jesus chose the apostles. Luke 6, 16. He called whom he would to be with him and sent them forth to preach in Mark 3. Judas was linked with Simon the Canaanite in this service in Matthew 10. He's always the last in the list and always called the traitor or betrayer. He was chosen by the Lord. And yet in John 6, 64, we read these astounding words. Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. Here we have the omniscience, the all-knowing God. And yet, he loved him, bringing him in, making him one of the 12, his close-knit group that went everywhere. They ate and, and slept in the same place. They were always together. And Jesus knew when he chose him what he'd do. And he still loved him. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? Isn't it like us when he brings us into the church? He knows which of us will betray him today and tomorrow this week. He knows which of us raise our hands in praise, but our hearts are black. He knows which of us who are here that have been faithful, but never bowed the knee to Christ. He knows you. He knows all about you. But yet, he's, even in our resistance of him, he still loves us. That's, 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 an amazing, that's an amazing thing to me. We are free will agents. We have choice. 
Nobody or nothing makes us come to Christ. We are completely on our own. Just as Judas was, he made his choice. Now, we have to understand when we choose against Christ and we say, you know what, Lord, I don't want, I don't want anything to do with you. I'll go to your church. I'll eat your donuts. I'll listen to that great music. But when you come to messing with my heart, I'm putting my Kevlar spiritual vests on. You're not getting in because I want to live my life the way I want to live it. And I'm not going to do what you want. And you're not getting my money. This is my money. I work hard for this money. You see, that's some of the attitudes that, that we have. It's some of the attitudes we, we bring in here. Well, here's the downside of that, my friends. In Matthew 7, 22 and 23, we read the severe consequences of not accepting Christ. On judgment day, many will tell me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Go away. The things you did were unauthorized. These are words that we never want to hear. Stage three in the life of Judas Iscariot, treasurer of the apostolic band, but a thief. Jesus went about his ministry and depended on faith and trust in God for his daily needs. And we read in Luke 8, 2 and 3, along with some women he had healed and from whom he had cast out evil spirits. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. So when he sent them out on these preaching tours, he instructed them in Matthew 10, 9 and 10. Don't take any money with you. Don't carry a traveler's bag with an extra coat, sandals or even a walking stick. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. You see, Judas was the banker. He was the financial expert of the group. He carried the money and secretly helped himself from their meager resources. And how often has that been story has been told and the media gets a hold of it and likes to tell it that, that here are these so-called men and women of God who are pleading and begging for money for different reasons. And then down the road, you find out that that money's been sent, spent for something else or on themselves. Man, it's a, <laughs> it's a stab in the heart, isn't he? The missionaries that were in Haiti, Steve and Jolene Moore, that have retired, they would tell these stories that these American churches and churches from around the world would send money to these Haitians to do missions, but they never went to check on them. Steve said these, oh, some of these folks had just spent that money on themselves. That, that happens. This, this was Judas. How many times have we, like Judas, robbed God in the giving of our time and our talents and our treasures? There's a little Judas in all of us. You're all gifted. If you are a follower of Christ, if you believe God's word, have accepted him as your Lord and your Savior, he has gifted you. When you do not use that gift, that's a betrayal. And in the course of your daily activities, when the Holy Spirit moves in your life to talk to somebody, to love somebody, that's a betrayal. It, 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 there's a, let's admit it. I think we can all raise our hand. There's a little Judas in all of us. That's why we need God and each other to get through life. That's the point. And even like the Israelites, 
God said some pretty harsh language, we would say today, Malachi 3, 8. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of tithes and offerings due to me. We have to remember that everything that we have belongs to God. It's on loan to us. And on that day, when this old heart stops, all my stuff goes to somebody else, and it's worthless to me. But God's interested in how I use that now while I'm here. Stage four in the life of Judas Iscariot, the anointing of our Lord by Mary of Bethany. This event really brings out the character of Mary and Judas in week, in Passover week. Mary poured the contents of her alabaster flask on oppression ointment on the head and feet of Jesus and wipes his feet. And we see Judas' reaction, his attitude to the Lord. Why this waste, God? Why, why, why was not the ointment sold for 300 denarii and give it to the poor? In all honesty, he wasn't going to give it to the poor. He was going to use that money for himself. His attitude to the woman, indignation and murmuring against her, Mark 14, 4. And his attitude to money. He was a thief. He had the gift of valuation and statistics. He didn't have the valuation of the Holy Spirit, which was very precious. Judas' estimate was 300 denarii. So both Matthew and Mark linked the anointing and his frustration with his going to the priest to sell the Savior. Guys, you give me some money, and I'm going to deliver him on a silver platter. What will you give me? Of course, they agreed on 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave gored by an ox in Exodus 21, 32. It is called in Matthew 27, 6, and Acts 1, 19, the price of blood. This was the sin of the prophet Balaam. It was the sin of the servant Gehazi, and it was the sin of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, where they lied and God struck them dead. It was over money. It has often been said that a man's attitude to money is an acid test of his character. So it was with Judas Iscariot. And from this point on, he sought opportunity to betray the Lord. What's your attitude toward money? We all have one. Are you generous? Would you consider yourself generous? Do you give God what's his? See, that's your choice. It's, 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 all, it's all your choice. And what about God's money? I know a lot of times we, we put money in the plate and hopefully we, we, we give that to God. I appreciate your generosity. You're great givers. You give and you give with love, I hope. But I have run into folks before within the context of the religious community that when they put that money in that basket, they want to control where it goes. You got to remember that once you let go of that, you're giving that to God. Let it go. Is there any Judas found in your attitude toward money? Stage five in the life of Judas Iscariot at the table in John 13. There's six references to Judas. The apostle sat at the Passover table in the upper room. Verse two, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus responds in verses 12, 10, and 11. You are clean, but not all, for he knew who would betray him. And here comes the quotation from Psalm 41, 9. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. That's in verse 18. 
And then the outright statement, verse 21, one of you shall betray me. Verse 27, it consisted of a portion of the Passover lamb, talking about the sop, the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs. It was usually offered to the honored guest at the table as a token of courtesy and affection. And Jesus takes this offering and he hands it to Judas. That was a night never to have a sunrise for the betrayer. Here's a clip, and we kind of get a sense of maybe kind of what that, that looked like and felt like in the upper room. in remembrance of me. Think about 
in my own life that I'd be in church and the Holy Spirit would speak to me and I would leave close to God. Walk into work the next day and you fall right back into the same conversations and feelings and thoughts maybe you shouldn't have. I know how that is. There has to come a time in our lives where we stand up, take the initiative, say, you know what? I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm going to be who God has called me to be. Stage six in the life of Judas Iscariot. Satan enters. Satan's here this morning. You can't keep him out of church. If you remember in the story of Job, he went right to the throne room of heaven. He's here. <laughs> he wants to rob every blessing that you are trying to take in. He wants to stop every thought that the Holy Spirit puts in your mind and your heart. You've got to resist him. Yeah. This is an interesting story here with Judas. After the sob Satan entered into him, our Lord had previously said in John 6, 70 and 71, have I not chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil, Diabolus. Whenever the word devil is applied to an evil spirit, it's always a mistranslation in the sense it ought to be rendered demon. Our Lord had called Judas Iscariot a devil. Satan had many servants at his beck and call, and we know that, that when he was cast out of heaven, a third of the angels were swept with him, and they became demons. These are the ones that bother us. But when it came to the betrayal of the Savior, he didn't delegate that task. He himself entered into Judas Iscariot. He wanted the full power of his evil to have its way, you see. Satan, in the person of Herod, sought to destroy Christ. At the temptation in the wilderness, he tried to move him out of the position of dependence on his father's well. So he personally entered a man to treacherously betray him. And Satan still works today to destroy Christ by trying to destroy us, the body of Christ, his church. And he works incessantly to do that. Stage seven in the life of Judas Iscariot, the rest in the garden. It's a place of rest and prayer. And here comes Judas with the soldiers. And here we see, as we did in the case of Absalom, 2 Samuel 15, the traitor's kiss. Judas never called Jesus Lord. Here it is, Master. Our Lord's reply was, he called Judas friend. Heterios in the Greek means close comrade, one of the most touching things in the Bible. If you've ever been betrayed, if you've ever betrayed anybody, you understand what that, that stab in the heart feels like. Stage eight in the life of Judas Iscariot, he returns to the temple. Some wonder if he really knew the seriousness of what he did. He had seen Jesus before surrounded by soldiers, but surrounded by crowds, and somehow in a miraculous way, Jesus would disappear. Maybe he thought that was happening, but when he found out that this was going to cause the death of Christ, he couldn't live with it. He took the silver back and he cried, 
I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And the priest callously replied, what is that to us? See thou to that. Remember, the st- you've seen some pictures and maybe even clips where he tossed the silver. And then we know what he did next. He went out and hung himself. Stage nine in the life of Judas Iscariot, the suicide. There's a, lot of, there's a number of comparisons between Judas and Ahithophel. Both had in a posi- been in a position of trust and intimacy. Both had been treated with kindness and courtesy. Both performed an act of treachery. The motive behind Ahithophel's action was probably malice and vengeance. He aided David for destroying his daughter's family in that sense. Behind Judas was greed. And then they both went out and hanged themselves. Self-murder is a horrible crime. It's history not only in Scripture, but in the secular word makes sad reading. Human life is sacred, and its termination should be left in the hands of God where it belongs. Stage 10 in the life of Judas Iscariot, the piece of property that he used the 30 pieces of silver to buy. Gruesome details here in Acts, as Peter talks about it. Judas bought a field with the money he had received for his treachery, and falling there, he burst open, spilling out his intestines. The news of his death spread rapidly among all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic name, Akeldama, or Akeldama, which means field of blood. And Peter continued, this was predicted in the book of Psalms where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it, and again, let his position be given to someone else. It's possible that in his trying to hang himself, maybe he did, the rope broke with the result that Peter describes here. It's a gruesome ending regardless. 11th stage in the life of Judas Iscariot, Matthew takes his place as the scripture prophesy, let, him, let his position be given to someone else. And in stage 12, if I could say that all of us fit in this stage, it, we do to a degree because it is the eternal stage of Judas' life, that all of us here have eternal souls. And when God so chooses to stop our heart, you go somewhere. It's the real you. It's who you are. I believe our personality is mixed up in that. It's not that you just die and you don't remember anything. You die and you do remember. As people exit this earth, I've been with several people out there dying. They see somebody. They see something. They're going somewhere. It's time for me to leave. I see so-and-so. They're calling me home. There's validity in that. Scripture says Judas went to his own place, as you and I have our own place. The Lord told Simon Peter that he was going to prepare a place in the Father's house in John 14. And when I've got your room ready, he said, I'm going to come and get you. It's my favorite message for a, a, a celebration of somebody's life after they have passed. The hope that we have. That as a follower of Christ, God's got your name on a room in heaven. And when it's time for you, regardless of where you are or what you're doing, he's going to holler at you and you're going to be out of here. But there is another place prepared for the son of perdition. The term son of perdition is used, again, only of the man of sin in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, which is antichrist. He too ultimately will find himself in the same place. And this is the kind of place that it is. 
It is a place of distance. Judas was near to Jesus on earth, but now this great gulf is fixed. Luke 16, story of the rich man Lazarus. Lazarus had a terrible life. The rich man lives sumptuously, it said. Well, they both die. Rich man is in hell. He's in the torment side of Hades. He's burning up and he wants a drink. And he looks over this gulf and there's Lazarus over there having a party. He's in glory. Hey, can you send Lazarus over here to just dip his finger in water to touch my lips and my tongue? Because I am in agony. No can do. The gulf is fixed. When we die, you cannot cross that gulf. You're either in one place or the other. It's a place of darkness. He went out into the night, ultimately into outer darkness, Matthew 25, 30, where no light will ever shine. It's a place of defilement. Revelation 22, 11 says, he that is filthy, let him be filthy still. You cannot be redeemed. You will live forever desiring forgiveness that will never come. And it's a place of despair, everlasting punishment, no hope, Matthew 25, 46 tells us. So we got these two places, friends. You got heaven, you got hell. Where do you have your place? Have you made reservations? Will you forever be in glory? Or will you forever be in torment? In in that word torment, we, we cannot explain, I don't believe, what that will be like. In Dante's Inferno, he pictures hell. He pictures degrees of punishment in hell. But he pictures this sign that hangs over the gates to hell. And this is what it reads. Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. There is no hope. As we look at the stages of this sad man's life, I ask you how the stages of your life are being lived out. And after seeing the steps of Judas' life and by examining our own lives, wouldn't you agree that with this big idea today, there's just a little Judas in all of us, including me. Betrayal hurts. And when you first find out about it, you can't hardly stand that. Some want to kill somebody. Some want to run away. And some feel trapped that there's nothing they can do about it. We all have stories of betrayal. Perhaps you've been betrayed by a parent or a grandparent, a sibling, a spouse. It's plunged a blade into your heart that you didn't think it ever happened. A child, grandchild maybe, aunt, uncle, cousin, nephew, niece person that you thought were your best friend that you brought into your inner circle just you and them and you shared things from your heart that you never shared with anybody else and they betrayed you or maybe as a co-worker the list goes on and on it's a tough tough hurt that only God can heal. He can only be healed supernaturally. Jesus was betrayed by Judas. 
Jesus lost him to death. David lost his son Absalom to death. And I pray this morning, my friends, that God does not lose you. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart right now? Maybe you need forgiven. It comes to my heart a lot. Maybe you need to forgive someone else. I don't, I don't know your heart this morning, but it is exposed to God. It is laid completely open. So I pray, my friends, as I love you, that whatever God says to you, that you deal with it. This altar down here is a place to come to pray for yourself and for people who love you to gather around you. A lot of times you need somebody to pray for you. If you don't know Jesus this morning, today's the day. Come. There'll be people here that will be able to show you how to do that. Or if you really feel the strong desire to pray in your seat, for heaven's sakes, do that. Then tell somebody. Tell us. Write it on your card. It's really important to us. Lord, I love you and thank you for my friends here, my family. We know what it's like to be betrayed. We know it's a hurt that we can't hardly endure. But you know how we feel. Happen to you, happens all the time. Many of us betray you every day, Lord. You keep loving us. And that should really bring us to our knees in the sense that there's a lot of stuff that we need to get rid of, of our life, in our lives and give it to you. So right now, Holy Spirit, help us to be obedient. For we ask in the name of Christ, amen.